0: Welcome to episode 531 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Monday, March 12th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, and we have got an extravaganza. It is a guest episode. I am joined by not only Justin Mason, not only Jason Collette, but also Guru Elite's own Vlad Settler. So going in reverse order. Vlad, how's it going?
1: Man, I'm fantastic, Paul. It's uh, good to be on board with all three of you at once. It definitely feels like a treat. So thanks for having me on.
0: We're happy to have you on. Jason, how are you doing?
1: I'm only here to listen to Vlad since he and I are nailed Tout Wars together.
0: So you know, I want them now.
2: I don't want to wait until the show's posted. I need it now so I can start adjusting my plans accordingly.
0: Yeah, you messaged me hoping to listen surreptitiously. But I, I exposed you, and I said that you were going to be on the show, so I kind of blew up that plan, but uh, that was your original plan, was just to get some tips in here where Vlad's at on some AL guys. We have some transactions to cover, and you're like, give Vlad all the AL ones so I can find out how much he's going to bid on these guys.
3: And Justin, right. how you doing? How much sleep are you working on? I'm working on about three and a half hours, so you okay. about double the amount I usually get.
0: Yeah, you're up. Okay, that's good. That's good. So, as I mentioned, we actually do have transactions. Everything's really starting to come into place. We knew there was going to be a flurry at some point. It just seemed that every time we said it was going to happen, it didn't. And now it finally is. And we got six big transactions over the last you know, four or five days or so. And Peter Shanky nailed it when he said that this is like the end of a, a fantasy baseball auction. Uh, and these values are just obscene when you compare it to what was happening earlier. And, and of course, we see it in the the real life mlb market at times but never to this extent this is the the one that looks the most like a fantasy auction and we're like mike is for six i would have paid that i paid 18 for todd frazier you know uh so it's really interesting to see see how these have gone so we're gonna start with our guest and uh sorry jason it's not an al one but we're gonna start with our guest vlad on Jake Arietta going to philly I don't know. I think you do listen to the show, but as you know, we don't. The, the terms are kind of irrelevant because we're really focused on the on the here and now, the one year. But it is a uh, three-year deal, seventy-five mil, a two-year opt-out. I think. I think you can opt out after two years, so that's great and all. But really, Jake Arrieta in Philly, twenty eighteen. That's what we're focused on. Where? What was your outlook on him previous? And then where are you on Arrieta now that he's landed?
1: Well, I was originally part of the friends don't let friends don't let friends draft Arietta <laughs> the club, but uh, I think th- things are changing a little bit. I mean, for me, uh, you know, this is now a guy that's going to be uh, top ten as far as starting pitchers are concerned in an annual salary. Uh, I, I really kind of like the Phillies offense. I think they'll surprise a little bit. I like the over bets. I think at the time before Arietta signed, it was uh, 76 and a half wins, uh, probably a number that's increased a little bit. Um, you know, last year was just, you, you saw that big improvement in the second half. He ended up, um, you know, 228 ERA over the second half, over four in the first half, um, you know, improved walks. Uh, but the home runs to nine kind of stayed around the same. And right now, he's like the twenty-fifth starting pitcher going off the board, somewhere around one hundred and one ADP. Uh, actually, has fallen a little bit down, um, you know, on, on NFBC drafts, down to 29th um, and, and about an ADP of one hundred and seven. So, um, to me, you know, I think he's potentially worth a stab in the seventh round of fifteen teamers. Um, you know, you're looking at the guys going around him. It's like Barrios, Kyle Hendricks, Luke Weaver. Like I'd probably take those guys over Arietta. Um, and then I think it's kind of an interesting conversation when you start thinking Arietta versus Lester versus Price.
0: Yeah, that's I, I'm just I'm still on the friends don't let friends take Arietta. It's it's, it's a full stay away for me. It's just because I like other other guys around him, and I, I just don't know what we're going to get. One question, Vlad, and, and this is DRS, this is defensive runs saved as a whole. So I didn't do the infield versus uh, outfield, but they were la- they were third to last uh, last year. They were 28. The Phillies were minus. 57 defensive runs saved and they lost freddie galvis who was a pretty solid defender now jp crawford going in is not a major trade-off but but even with that even with a uh, you know solid uh defender there with jp crawford defense is not their their strong suit. We got reese hoskins going to the outfield which has some folks worried Does the defense moving from the cubs to the phillies by the way the cubs were 22nd And uh, I would imagine that a decent bit of that, or excuse me, they were eighth with 22 defensive runs saved. And I would imagine a good bit of that comes from their infield defense. Does the defensive change worry you at all for Arietta going from Chicago to Philly by
1: uh, I, you know, it's very slight uh, because they were both, uh, you know, top. I'm sorry, bottom uh, third teams in the league last year, and so um, I guess we'll see. Uh, I'd like to see kind of what 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 shakes out in the outfield. Um, how much? No, it's no, I,
0: be. I misspoke. I apologize. It was it was eighth. They were uh, the Cubs were oh. eighth with 22 defensive run saves, not 22nd.
1: Got it. Okay. All right. That's a huge difference. Then that that's definitely going to probably drop Arietta a couple pegs even more for me. Probably yeah, into that uh, don't let friends club.
0: That's kind. Of, that's kind of where I'm at, Jason. Um, I think that you kind of share similar outlook on Arietta. Is he somebody that you're looking at at all?
2: Uh, no, I, I lean more towards you. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to write him off completely. But there's a couple of things when you're looking at a guy who's lost two to three miles an hour across the board on the fastballs, the the slider, the sinker, all of that. And then what I can't get out of my head is just the crossfire delivery for him. I I, I think we were at a point. With JV. Weren't we with JV a couple of years ago where all of a sudden everybody was pointing at the velocity and saying, hi, I told you so. This is when it's going to go boom. And it didn't. Um, That said, the other end of the spectrum, uh, maybe this is extreme. I can't get Jared Weaver out of my head because same kind of crossfire. And eventually once it started going, it just kept going and then it just fell off big time. Maybe at the end of this end end of this three year deal, maybe that's where he's starting to go. But once that velocity's gone, he's just not as attractive to me anymore. And in yeah. uh, this ballpark, this is not the you know, defense measures. That's that's a good point. Um, this is, I mean, not that the Cubs was a pitching park, but yeah, you know, Philly's pretty easy to hit the ball out of, and that's uh, that's a concern for me here. I would have rather him land somewhere else uh, than here.
0: When well, the homers jumped up last year, um, with with a little homer to fly ball ratio boost 11 percent to 14 percent, but the actual total went from 0.7 to 1.1.2 so that's a pretty big jump for Arietta Justin do you have a dissenting opinion or do you, do you kind of align here that that Arietta is somebody that you're probably not really targeting
3: I probably wouldn't target him I, I might have had he signed earlier but the the thing about Arietta it's you know he's bad when his mechanics are bad and mm-hmm. he just doesn't have enough time for me to get some looks at him coming into the season, signing so late for me to determine whether or not his mechanics are looking a little bit better than they did last year. So mm-hmm. for that reason alone, unless his price drops, you know we're going to see a lot I don't of people think will, though Well I think we're going to see up. a lot of people in this industry who are saying the exact same things you guys are, and that could really hurt him in terms of ADP. and if that happens, then I'll be on board.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to see that. But the the trend so far is that when these guys get a team, these late holdouts, that, that when they get a team, their ADP bumps a little bit. So um, he's already right now in the last just last four days on on average opposition at NFBC. Jake Arrieta is at pick 112, and that's already too high for me. If he starts creeping into the top 100, uh, you just, you're just not going to see him on any of my teams. Uh, Justin, let's stick with you and jump over to the next point here. Jonathan Lucroy signs a deal with Oakland, another guy that for a while it was really looking like I couldn't even figure out a place for him. And I guess we kind of we kind of inked in Bruce Maxwell because mm-hmm. I, I remember thinking, like, well, there's no there's no jobs. And then you look and I was like, what is there's a I job. Bruce yeah. Maxwell's name. And then I literally vomited all over the place uh, <laughs> when I saw his numbers. I'm like, OK, why didn't we see this sooner? This is actually a really nice fit. Were so, you,
3: were you we, delivering pizza to him at the time?
0: Yes, I was, and then so he punched me in the face. He got really mad at me. Um, so, Luke Roy had a terrible year last year, even with the bounce back in Colorado. Uh, that only boosted him up to a uh, 716 OPS when you add it all together. He was brutal in Texas, and even the surge in uh, with Colorado was Coors-aided and walk-aided. So, it's a little flimsy, because I think he also had some batting eight situations there where you're going to even get more walks. Not that he doesn't have a good eye, but... I. I don't really buy that. Okay, he got himself right in Colorado. Uh, when you really look at the home away and the uh, the batting lineup placement, but he is a year removed from a great season. Uh, but now two of the last three have been tough for for Jonathan Lucroy. He's going to be 32 as a catcher. Can maybe go a little bit uh, quicker in your 30s because of the the beating you can take back there. Justin, do you like Jonathan Lucroy in Oakland now? What's your outlook on him?
3: I like the fact that he's probably going to get a majority of the starts. That being said, I think the price is now going to go through the roof, and um, I think you missed your opportunity to get your shares of Jonathan Lucroy if you haven't already. Uh, I just, you know, I, I just bought him for six bucks in an AL only, and I got him for a dollar in that CBS AL only before he signed, and those will be my only shares of Jonathan Lucroy. I just, I don't know what to expect skills wise from him. You know, obviously, you know, he's a guy who can who can take a walk. He doesn't strike out very much. Um, And so he's not going to be a negative at catcher more than likely. But I have a hard time believing we're going to see anything close to 2016 again.
0: Vlad, looking at Jonathan Lucroy, uh, I'm, I'm curious, first off, your quick thoughts on him. But then your your attack of catchers as a whole. We have kind of the, the big three. Actually, the big one. I think the cheese stands alone. I think Gary Sanchez is up there by himself. And then you have Contreras Posey as their own little tier. And then you really start to get into everybody else. Uh, how are you attacking catchers in your two catcher leagues? And is Lucroy now somebody you're interested in now that he's got a landing spot? And I agree with Justin, a full-time gig.
1: So I actually have some shares already, and I've got them on a, lot, a, a handful of teams and um, in, in a lot of places where uh, I'm you know, waiting on catcher if I miss out on a Wilson Ramos, who I really like, or Wellington Beef Castillo, who I'm happy Ooh. with.
0: You came on Uh, the right show to be talking up those names, Vlad. You did your homework, man.
1: For for sure, for sure. Well, you know, I mean, Luke Roy was literally one of the worst picks you could have made in the top 100 last year because he actually hurt people. I mean, he was the second catcher off the board behind Posey. And like most people did, you just kept waiting for the stats and they never came. So you have them in your lineup all year and all this damage is occurring in our lineups. And so um, actually, mad props to our um, our. Mutual friend Scott Jenstad, who was the first person to me to point out that with the situation with Bruce Maxwell and the grand jury indictment and the fact that you know Josh Fugley is backing him up, uh, <laughs> probably a good chance that that could have been a spot for Luke to sign. So, um, for me, you know, it, you know, 213 ADP this year, 55 last year, it's going to end up somewhere in between. I think, uh, Justin hit it right, the nail right on the head. If he starts creeping up to like the 150s overall, you're really missing out on the value. Um, And so, yeah, and as far as your question about, in general, what I'm doing with catcher, I pretty much do what I do every year, and that's pretty much just grab my guys later on. Like, a couple years ago, it was Grundahl in every team. Um, I'm, you know, a Ramos guy almost every single year. Uh, There's some other back-end guys that I don't mind, like, you know, I mean, Austin Hedges is getting all the hype if my batting average can handle it. Um, You know, guys like James McCann. And so, if I don't get a Gary Sanchez, you know, falling to me at the end of the second round or something like that, or a nice value on a Contreras— I'm going to skip over Posey, Perez, Real Muto, Gaddis, all those guys, and I'll just dive in a little bit later
0: on. Yep, I just I can't justify getting in on that on that Perez, uh, Molina, Real Muto group. I love Real Muto too. It's just Miami. I just I'm not that in on it. Uh, Jason, I want to ask you a, a different question here related to catcher, but specifically about Chris Iannetta. Is he getting enough love? He had a really nice season out in Arizona last year. I get granted it was like 98, 98 games. But he looks like the, the, the clear path frontrunner here to get more playing time. He's always been a lefty killer. I think he's going to get some versus right. He's uh, played appearances to get – oh, it's 89 games, excuse me. But to get up over 100 games for the first time in, in three seasons, and he's out in Colorado where he's, where he's done well before, would you rather have Chris Ionetta at, say, 255, which is around where he's going, or Luke Roy at, say, 180 if, he, if that's mm-hmm. where he meanders up to?
2: I'd rather the guy that's going to play more often here, and I'll take Luke Corey on, on a bounce back. I actually like Oakland quite a bit this year I do uh, too. for this, and, and you're and you're taking the air out of a lot of Tom Murphy sleepers for those NL only. Uh, this is going to be the area he's going to hit those twenty home runs. This will be it. Uh, so I was, it. I was in. I was on mean, that man. The aspect that I want to point out with Luke Corey is the, is the defensive side of things. I think this helps Oakland's pitchers. I mean, when you look at uh, Baseball Reference, just had their own version of the of the. Uh, uh, strike zone run saved since 2011 and Jonathan Lucroy is second, only behind Tyler flowers uh, in that regard since 2011. Uh, last year he was dinged a little bit cause he was so good and everybody wrote about him. And last year uh, it was a down year for him in that regard, but still over the last six years, he's number two. And I think this gives a, maybe a dollar extra on, on, um, Manea on uh, Daniel Mengden, just a couple of guys. It gives a, a, maybe a tiebreaker to think about as you're looking in between two pitchers. It now gives them a very good defensive catcher behind the plate to help steal some
0: strikes. Sure, sure. I, I can I can see I can see some of that. I know his his um, uh, framing, Luke Roy's framing has vacillated a little bit, and some of that is of course dependent on pitchers. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can do in out, out in Oakland. I agree with you. I think they're an interesting sleeper team, especially from a fantasy standpoint. Jason, let's stick with you and talk about Mike Mustakis. Back to KC, this was looking more and more like the fit. Um, I was actually at the Stanford University of Texas game uh, on Friday night talking to my buddy Paul, who's been on the show, Paul Gustavo, and I was like, you know, I, th- I, think, I think they're just going to get him back, you know, like on, a, on a 110. I said 110. They got him for <laughs> one, six and a half. Uh, so I, I, ca- I called one. I'm terrible at calling free agents, but I finally called one. Hooray, it only took the entire free agent season but uh, it, this was adding up as as one of the few logical fits I liked the Atlanta buzz I I, I saw how that could fit but KC seemed like the other good spot for him And uh, of the guys they brought back I have no problem with them bringing him back I still don't know why they brought back Escobar but don't wind Jason and I up on that or excuse me Justin and I we already got angry about that the other day but uh, moves back in KC how close does he come to repeating last year Jason and uh, are you drafting him
2: Uh, I would draft him and I don't, I'm not hesitant to say he could hit over 30 again. I mean, we look at just some of the the baseline stuff. He started elevating the ball more, had the highest ground ball to fly ball ratio. His home run to fly ball was, was actually lower than the previous season. It's just, he started hitting more fly balls and that's why it was able to catch up, uh, uh, catch up to where he was. So it's repeatable uh, maybe not the 38 but I don't I'm not pausing this if somebody says hey he's gonna hit 30 again this year I'm not walking away from that saying no way' I'm th- I'll bet you 10 bucks that won't happen
0: yeah no i, I I'm, I'm with you there um Vlad is Moose somebody that you target in the in the third round
1: area i uh, I'm not particularly excited I mean right now he's he's uh you know he's going as the 17th third baseman off the board and uh, you know probably you can Someone you can easily grab in the uh, in the tenth round of fifteen teamers, um, you know. Simply like he's because he plays for a bad offense, and people may be afraid of that regressing batting average. Um, I think he's a solid power bat. Um, you know, a lot of the things that Jason mentioned, in, uh, improvements that he made last year, finally kind of having that breakout season. I think we're looking at something like probably 28 to 32 homers, 85 RBIs, average anywhere falling between 260 to 285. But I'm um, wondering what you guys think about this, just out of curiosity. Um, his BABIPs have been incredibly low last year, uh, 263 with a 272 batting average, and the previous year, a freaking 214 BABIP with a 240 average. Yeah,
2: and it's not like he's a heavy pull hitter either. I mean, when you look at that kind of thing, you're thinking maybe this is Kendris Morales, and he's just pulling the crap out of the ball into the ground. But it's not him.
0: No, it's really not. I mean, he keeps the ball in the air. Maybe it's the it's the fly ball lean that might be hurting him a little bit. But it is kind of surprising. I think when you get so many, you know, Babip doesn't include homers. So when you get a bunch of your hits from homers, sometimes it's not a situation where it's like, oh, this must go up. But I, I've always liked Moose and, and been kind of waiting on the breakout. It finally came at age 28 because when you see power like this with a low contact rate, right? oh, my God, I just realized Mike Helfranco is Mike Moustakis. <laughs> oh, God, and we're going to have to wait until he's 28. Oh, man, I'm going to be drafting three more years of Mike Franco. Oh, my God. Uh, I re- that really just hit me. Like, they're the same because I just I love the contact and the power, but putting it together seems to be difficult. And, uh, you know, it finally happened for Moose, and I'm a believer. I'm not sure there's a lot of batting average upside there, but I also wouldn't be surprised by it. So it's like one of those where I'm not necessarily – adding a dollar to plan for it with Moustakis, but I I would certainly never be surprised if he went $32.90. I'd be like whoa you know that's obviously like a huge bust bust out year but it wouldn't it's not something I'm kind of planning for
2: and I got one more point on this part of the reason why his bad is so low You know, he hits a lot of infield fly balls, a lot of pop-ups you watch him play. And I was looking at this while you were talking there. His infield fly ball percentage was in the top 11 in the league last year. I mean, if you compare some bad bips, 263 and a 16% infield fly ball. Todd Frazier was the worst in the league, 226 and an 18 and a half. Uh, Jose Reyes, 18, 263. So a lot of those, Byron Buxton somehow. Is the, uh, Byron Buxton and Alex Bregman are the two guys that were able to have a, a bad dip over 300 despite a top 12 infield fly ball ratio.
0: I'm sure speed helped that. Where's Ruggie on that? He's got He's a big infield fly ball. Uh, he is 13th. There you go. Not surprised. Uh, Justin, let's, let's jump over to the Neil Walker signing here. He goes out to the Yankees for, for 5 mil. And honestly, I think the Waves... Of, of what this move causes are probably uh, ringing more than, than anything about Neil Walker. Nothing against him, but I know folks were really excited about Glaber Torres and Miguel Andujar. And now with Drury and Neil Walker coming in, this seems to put both of them in the minors to start the season. What do you think of Neil Walker out now uh, out in New York? Excuse me.
3: I mean, I, I like it in terms of, you know, his own personal fantasy value. Like you mentioned, it ruins uh, a little bit of the helium, on Glaber Torres and Angular, but I mean, those guys, Heliums were out of control anyway. Like, pe- people taking them as high as they were going seemed a little bit insane to me. Uh, I I love the fit for him, you know, especially because he's one of those guys who can play all around the diamond when he's healthy. The question is, how many at-bats and plate appearances are we going to get from him this year? He he's, hasn't crossed 500 plate appearances in two consecutive seasons. Uh, he's been pretty good when on the field, but that is a difficult thing to kind of project. So I don't know in what format I'm that interested in a, in a Neil Walker, maybe 15 teams and that's it.
0: Yeah. I I think, I think that that's, that's pretty fair. I don't know. I, I like him, you know, but, but he doesn't do anything that's particularly special. And I don't know that he qualifies anywhere, but second base, if he had, if Neil Walker had an extra eligibility, I think that that would kind of make all the difference there because I like the, those types of guys that you're going to put in your middle or corner. You like when they can bounce between the two. Uh, Vlad, were you were you were you in on this Gleber Torres Miguel andahar hype or or are you jumping? in now that the prices are going to sink,
1: not not really. Mostly because uh, you know I'm playing primarily in FBC with uh, you know drafted some twelve teamers where those type of guys like if they're not in the majors, you really don't want to hold too many of these guys with the seven man bench. And, uh, and and haven't really gotten into them in the 15 teamers outside of slow drafts. But I mean, with Neil Walker, this is a dude that was literally right outside the top 450, which is a, your typical 15 teamer. Uh, and he was a top 250 player last year. He was on the way uh, to what I think was probably going to be his best offensive season before he got hurt. Ended up with 23 homers in 113 games. And I think he's on the map a little bit um, simply because he is a Yankee. Uh, you know, he spent the majority of his bats bats last year for both the Mets and Brewers hitting cleanup. Um, and, you know, this is somebody that could have that sort of, you know, end, end, of, the, uh, end of the draft type of value, um, you know, put him in when he's at home, uh, you know, for a weekend lineup. But I think he's just more valuable to the Yankees because he's, you know, versatile position wise. Um, you know, he'll step in at second base so we can all be saved from the Tyler Wade experiment and probably <laughs> flip flop with uh, Brandon Drury.
0: Yeah, hopefully they get him that t- those 10 games over at third, add that eligibility for for us fantasy geeks, and uh, then we have Neil Walker, dual eligible. Jason, are you a big fan of the 32-year-old Neil Walker?
2: Not as big fan as everybody else is on Twitter today. Everybody was making a big deal. You know, from a baseball perspective, yes, $5 million for a guy of this talent that can play both sides of the diamond, can even play second base. Uh you know, three positions in an infield. Yay, that's good. But for me, this this is reminiscent to when Chase Headley came to the Yankees. Everybody's like, oh, my God, he's this is going to be amazing. And Chase <laughs> Headley never even hit as many as 15 home runs in the Yankee Stadium.
0: In fairness, though, Neil Walker's actually good at baseball and Chase Headley's. <laughs>
2: Chase Hudley a- was only a season removed from 31 bombs in Petco. But if you remember all of the stink when he went to the Yankees, it was like, this guy's good. If he just ever gets to Yankee Stadium, it's perfect for him. And it never happened. Now, it, it, it really it never just To me, the hype today on Neil Walker, I saw people like 25 home runs. I'm like, I don't know. I, I, hey. I'm not paying the price. I'm not paying today's tax. The hype tax seemed pretty high here's, for me today.
0: Here's the thing, though. I, I don't know that the hype can can push it too far up like you know uh, Vlad said he was going like 450 I mean you can boost that up 150 picks and that's still pick 300 so you're still you're still built in pretty well there but I, I hear what you're saying I think your points well uh, he did hit 23 Neil Walker did in 113 games back in 2016 but that goes to another point is that he's never really healthy 151 games in 2015 and 159 in 2011 otherwise he doesn't play more than a he doesn't even reach 140. He's he never had any other year of his career. So a 32 year old playing the middle infield, who's only played over 137 games twice. Let's not uh, let's not get too crazy. All right, uh, Vlad. Let's talk about Lance Lynn out in Minnesota. I was really hoping they would make a move and get one of these guys. You know, an Arietta, Lynn, or Cobb when they were kind of the. The big three left on the market. Well, when Darvish was there too, actually, it was more of like a big four, and it was kind of a a Arietta Darvish on one side, and then Lynn Cobb as as the the consolation prizes. And then when Urban Santana got hurt, it's like, well, now they have to, they have to do something, and they they made the Oderizzi move. So now they are back at surplus to get to get uh, Lance Lynn as well. So they go Lynn, Oderizzi. And Barrios right now, and then um, Cal Gibson, Alberto Mejia, and then you add Santana after a while. Not bad. What do you think of Lance land out to Minnesota, Vlad?
1: It's not a bad deal. Uh, Twelve million is, and I believe he took uh, five million less than he would have, uh, right? With, if he had stayed with St. Louis.
0: Yes, if he would taken the qualifying offer, um, so he left five million on the table. <laughs> Freaking. Poor Mike has left twelve mil on the table.
1: <laughs> so uh, yeah, so he's you know kind of pitching for you know he, he wants to have a big year this year uh, pitching for a contract uh, in a nice division. Got those division rivals, uh, you know KC, Detroit, Chicago, White oh, Sox. Yeah. Not so great uh, offenses there, which is nice. Uh, I think it's a decent ad. I don't know if I'm going out of my way for him. Um, you know, I don't love them necessarily. Always love the move from NL to AL. Um, actually, never do. But uh, you know, I think it, it balances out a little bit there. Um, was was interesting. Kind of looking at his numbers is uh, his home runs uh, per nine innings last year was a one point three, uh, which pretty much doubled his previous career average. Like over the course of the year, it was like uh, of, the, of his previous season was like 0.6, 0.7, So that is interesting. Um, his price is two thirty two uh, on the ADP, which is right around other ALers like. Porcello, Hamels, and Jordan Montgomery. I'd rather have Lynn more than all those guys. Yeah, um, and look, Yeah, and, and the final thing, and, and always curious because you know I'm always learned a lot from you guys, whether I'm listening or on the show with you now. Is um, kind of how he's been outperforming his FIP and X FIP all these years. It's like three straight years or something like that. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, c- curious your guys' take on that type of thing.
0: I mean, for me, I, I've always liked Lance Lynn. When I, I think it's one of these guys that you you look at the numbers and you, you you see something like his FIP, and you're like, well, wait, this guy has to regress. And then you watch him pitch, and you understand it a little bit more. You see that he just pounds fastballs, has really good command of a nice, you know, 91 to 94 mile per hour fastball, can run it up there, 95, get the little flames on the fox box every once in a while, uh, and it has a decent slider as well. Doesn't really have much else though, so he is kind of making it work. With the fastball, but that's that's the key, right? Obviously, we're getting away from some fastball usage here, as far as uh, a lot of players go, and, and different teams are kind of de-emphasizing it with guys who have bad fastballs. But you can still have a lot of success when you have a good fastball. Like it can drive everything, and and having a good fastball with command, which is what was which is what Lance Lynn has. I think I think it drives his, his success. Uh, you look at his pitch values 17 and a half 16 11 15 15. I mean this guy has a great fastball And, and that that drives the success. I'm not too worried about the home run rate That seems like that seems anomalous to me um, I, I would have to see another home run rate similar to that in the first couple months to really be worried. Right now, I'm I'm banking in some regression, and uh, I still think he can have a similar ERA. He had 3.43 last year. I think he can be similar, but earn it, meaning that the FIP will be closer to it. So I I, I kind of like the uh, uh, the fans' projection that has him at a 3.55. Uh, e r a and then I think I would say a fib I think his skills are going to be closer to like a a, a three hundred eighty five so you know not too much of a split there. Justin, what do you think of Lance Lynn?
3: I love Lance Lynn. and uh i i don't think he gets enough credit for what he 's done. I think losing the season uh to tommy john uh has has hurt him you know in terms of his perspective value. Uh, but i mean he's top 50, he was top fifteen last year in infield fly ball percentage in uh in inducing soft contact uh top twenty uh lowest hard hit rate for qualified starters last year uh, i mean this is a guy that with the stuff that he has. Really throws hitters off balance and uh, uh, and really induces a lot of weak contact, which is what you want to see from a pitcher like that. I don't hate the park change, so you know going to Minnesota is not that big of a deal. And like Vlad mentioned, there are a bunch of uh, kind of cakewalk teams in that division this year. So I, I really like this, and uh, I, I think the Twins got a, an amazing deal.
0: Yeah, I, re- I really, I really agree with all that, and uh, he's definitely someone I'm going to be getting. You know, he's a workhorse, and we don't have a lot of workhorses anymore. So, you can all, you get the volume, and and I also think that you know you're not getting a volume of like 4.10 ERA. I, I really think he's going to be a mid threes guy, and. I still think that there we could see some extra strikeouts, kind of get back to that twenty-two, twenty-three percent. But just playing for a twenty percent, and you'll be fine. It's not, it's not earth-shattering, but it's solid. And then if you want to curate his starts, even better. If you're taking Lance Lane in a ten or twelve teamer and you're curating his starts a little bit, uh, making sure he doesn't face some of the tougher teams or the home run heavy teams, I think you're going to get even better work there. So I, I definitely like this move for Minnesota. Uh, Justin, let's finish up with ca- cargo going back to Colorado, which is kind of interesting because. I didn't really see that. I thought they had enough players there. But uh, this probably speaks to their feelings on the health of David Dahl, for one. And could also temper a little bit of the excitement on a Ryan McMahon, perhaps. Um, actually, what What am I looking here? No, wow. Roster Resources saying Ian Desmond, get to the bench. With Para Blackman, no. and Cargo starting. I don't see that. No, off, not, not
3: after that contract off, they Para's just gave him
0: yeah plus Parra's par, par hurt yeah uh, so i don't agree with that i i've still got desmond in and then um i think par is the one who can when he gets back he'll have some fourth outfield capability he'll he'll maybe get some time at first but uh i think mcmahon can still hit his way into forcing if you have par as a fourth outfielder there, there's nothing wrong with that i think that's his ideal role to be honest but what'd you think justin when you saw car go back to colorado
3: Uh, I mean, it it really just muddles this whole Colorado picture, which is, you know, the biggest deal for me. I I love Cargo, uh, you know, for what he's done in the fantasy game in the past. Uh, And I think he's about as cheap as you're ever going to get him, uh, you know, considering how much time he was unemployed. But I don't know that I necessarily see a huge fit for him in my roster unless i've got a really really deep bench somewhere so 50 team or uh, 50 round draft and holds uh, he's a nice little ad but i mean you know he's one of those guys at this point in his career he's more of a deeper league guy and in those deeper leagues i want guys who are gonna stay on the field and i just can't trust that with cargo
0: Vlad, we saw a little late season surge on Carlos Gonzalez after and another guy similar to the Jonathan Lucroy situation that you mentioned, kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for it to happen. It finally did happen in September, but it might have been too little too late um, he, after back to back 150 game seasons was back down to 136. Vlad, is cargo somebody on your radar at all?
1: Absolutely. And uh, I got some shares of him as well in a, in a couple of 15 team slow drafts, kind of right around pick 100 overall. And for me, I mean, these are the type of guys I, I feast on in, in these, uh, you know, some of these NFBCs and, and high stakes games, because I mean, look at Ryan Zimmerman the year prior, you know, every year on the DL last year has that monster season out of nowhere. Now I'm not expecting this specifically out of cargo, but the deal Mm -hmm. was good. Um, I just don't see him as kind of the everyday player that we've seen in the past, but I do like the fact that we saw, um, that nice September when he hit 377 with six homers, which is more than he had hit in any of the previous month, because he was no longer dealing uh, with some of, the health, uh, some of the health issues he had. Uh, and he actually changed the grip on his bat and got some help from a sleep doctor, which he seems to uh, have credited a lot uh, You know, having problems sleeping during the year. Don't know why, but uh, I'll take all those reasons as, as uh, potentially a reason to buy back in at his current price.
0: Okay, I think that that's completely fair. Uh, and that'll wrap up the transactions there. So now we're going to talk a little, we're going to interview our guest, Vlad Settler, by the way. Follow him on, on Twitter at RotoGut, out there doing work for Roto Elite. Uh, you, you're killing it, man. You're really killing it in the game. I'm excited to see um, your season this year. I think this is going to be a big, big year for for Roto Gut. People that aren't following are going to get on board. They're going to get the Vlad Sedler experience, and they're probably going to learn a lot about uh, Christian Yelich. Let's just start there uh-huh. before we really get into uh, before we get into a- anything with the with some of the NFBC strategy stuff we want to talk about. Your current pinned tweet is from just a couple days ago, and it says Christian Yelich is going to provide borderline first round value this year and be a top five NL MVP finalist. Save this tweet i agree vlad expound
1: i don't know you know sometimes you just have a really strong feeling of something and i guess maybe that's built into my name a little bit but uh i think the move to milwaukee is brilliant him hitting you know at or near the top of the lineup just when i you know i create my own projections every year and me plugging him in in my numbers he just pops out he pops out to me as somebody that's going around 45th overall where to me comes in you know 18th overall with my numbers and this is with general uh you know very conservative i don't want to say conservative but not over the top projections i'm talking about you know 28 23 homers with uh you know uh, 105 runs and and 15 steals nothing he hasn't done in the past there's
0: no there's no pop out thing but it all adds up guys like this traditionally get undervalued in fantasy because uh, there's no standout skill, there's no 35 homers, there's no 35 steals, there's no 320 average or 120 runs, but he's so good, Jelic is, at everything, and going to a park that's actually going to benefit him for once, it's hard not to see an explosion.
1: Well, you know, th- there's just something that's stuck in my head. Like, for some reason, you know, I, I did tweeted about it last year. People can probably pull it up, but I always had felt – a, uh, a batting title somewhere in his, you know, the way that he, I believe that he can change his approach. Um, you know, this is a guy, one of my really good friends went to high school, played baseball with Yellich, with Yellich and I'm sure this is uh, extended into his pros, but he was saying he had never in his life seen somebody uh, with so much, you know, with, with this incredible work ethic. And obviously it takes a lot of work ethic to get to the, to, to this level and to, to perform at a high level. But I think there's something really special in Kristen Yellick And I think we're going to see it this year.
0: I'm, I'm in. I mean, you know, the guy is uh,
3: an amazing looker too. It has nothing to do with the
0: fact that people <laughs> say I look like him. No, nothing like that. I'm just being real, man. I can appreciate it. it all comes from dude. his
3: mom. Have you seen? His, have you seen pictures of his mom?
0: Oh, I have. Let's be respectful of no, my. I'm just saying, my, like my it's, it's doppelganger good, mother. Good, good genes in that family. Good genes for sure. Good, good genes for sure. Uh, beautiful woman, Miss Ms Yelich, Mrs Yelich. I don't know, uh, Justin. How do you feel about this? Uh, I'm not even going to call it a hot take because I really don't think it is. Right? We throw that around about everything. Everything's a choke. Everything's a hot take. We have no nuance today uh, when discussing sports. I don't think it's a hot take. It's it's a it's a stance. It's planting a flag. But like. If we just go, you know, if we're just rote with everything and, and we don't try to expand out into anything, then you're never going, you know, the top five guys being drafted are not going to be the top five guys at the end of the year, right? We take part of the reason we take them is because we're confident in their ability to be like top three round guys. And that certainty or near certainty is why they get drafted there. There people are going to pop up. I think Yelich could be one of them. Justin, do you agree with uh, with Vlad's tweet there?
3: Uh, Not really but I, I see why he he makes the the argument and I think it's a fair argument to make I, I, I like the first part the first half of the statement the the fact that Jelic, uh, c- uh could provide first round value I, I totally believe and I think he's one of those guys that has a safe floor like you said what you want from your first round guys is you know that you know that he's going to produce you know a top three round talent no matter what uh, as you know as long as he's on the field and there's no reason to believe he won't be the way mvp typically gets voted on i don't think there's any way a guy like christian Jelic with his profile unless he does something obscene uh, in a statistical category is a top 5 mvp finalist um, and that that to me you know is you yeah, i don't i just don't see that happening um, you know in the nl so but do i think he I'm not going to have many shares of Christian Yelich. I've made my bones about uh, him throughout the off season. I don't think that the the park change is going to be so dramatically uh, huge for him, considering the ground, the ground ball rate. Uh, so I, I'm not on board necessarily, but I, I don't. I think it's a I think it's a bold statement, and I think it's a, I think it definitely could happen.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think it, I, I agree with the part that it could definitely happen. Not all that other trash that you said about how it's <laughs> not that good. I love Vlad, and I and whatever. I and I
3: uh, and every time Vlad tweets something, it's something I take into account. So I mean, if you're not following him on Twitter, you're you're missing out on some pretty great insight. Uh, I think this is one of the few spots where Vlad and I disagree.
0: All right, fair enough. Reasonable minds can disagree. Vlad, let's get into it. Uh, let's just start at the top here. What's your ideal pick slot, honestly? You can talk about this part first. I don't really care about the first round, though. First off, I think the first round is super deep anyway, so I don't think that that's the driving force behind a KDS, a Kentucky Derby style. That's what KDS is. And for those that don't know, in the NFBC, uh, you have these little markers, 1 to 15, and you rank them how you would want your picks. And I think what NFBC vets do, of which you are definitely one, is you map out. The first, you know, four to five rounds to see what's available to you in those picks. You don't just get zeroed in on who's gonna who you're gonna be taking in that first round. So, what is your ideal pick slot or pick area, at least, whether it's front, middle, or back?
1: Well, I mean, you nailed it on the head, at 100. percent To me. Trying to project who I'm going to get in, you know, picks three, you know, rounds three, four, five is so much more important because I mean, not only is the first round loaded, look at the second round. I mean, there oh, are a, a ton of guys. All like, you know, Chris Bryant coming off a year <laughs> with low ribbies is now is going like 18th it's overall. On the wheel.
0: Yeah, what are you? Are you kidding me? I can get I can get a Cy Young and an MVP, and I know that those awards aren't like the end all be all, but just as like a no. short hint, I can get a Cy Young Kluber and an MVP Bryant at the 15-16 turn. Are you kidding me?
1: Exactly. It's insane. I mean, you know, your boy Joey Votto, I mean, just like an afterthought, like you know, 21st overall. Freddie Freeman's going to take it to the next level, I think, this year in a full healthy season. Uh, Correa, J.D. Martinez, so much to love, um, you know, in that second round. And so for me, where, uh, you know, these 15 team main events, uh, these drafts we're going to do in Vegas in two weeks, uh, 80 pieces thrown out the window. And so you got to be ready, be prepared for that. Uh, somebody like Noah Syndergaard, I mean, I just saw a draft board of a, of a high-stakes league where he went 15th overall. So if you really want Syndergaard and you're picking at the end there, um, that's your spot. So, you know, got to take your shots. And so for me, it's because the aces are so important, you know, anchoring down your ratios, getting those early strikeouts. If you want to compete for the 150 grand for the overall title, you got to make sure you figure out where you get your pitching. And so um, for me this year, I almost feel like... I'll be happy with any of my first two picks. And so, you know, looking at, you know, there there really is no definitive number three guy. I mean, every, you know, there is actually no even, you know, no definitive uh, thought that Altuve is even second. But this is how it goes. It's basically Trad Altuve. And then for the most part, you see Trey Turner third. And then it just opens up. Uh, people Wine want open. those steals. And so for me, why wouldn't I take a num- You know, the ninth pick, where I get an earlier second round pick, I could still potentially get a, a starter like a Carrasco, Degrom, Severino, just one of those guys. Um, if I'm not getting one of the big four starters, so um, for me, I kind of like that middle zone, um, where the difference between. Harper, Stanton, Betts. I mean, it's all really minimal. Of course, I have my preferences, um, but push him to shove. I'm not going to complain about getting one of those guys to start. So um, I will have pick one as my number one KDS choice. I would love to have Trout for what is going to be the all-timer season, like the absolute monster. This is why he's first overall season. This is what I think is coming. And so if I can pair him with uh, a couple starting pitchers at 30-31 or even – a top pitcher, top hitter on the board, I'd be happy with that.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I got to take him number one as well. And in my Beat Paul Spore tomorrow night on Tuesday, I have the number one pick, so I'm pretty excited about that.
3: Very nice. Oh, how does that change for you in terms of, like, your KDS in the 12-team versions? Because, I mean, you know, the main event and with the Rotorua Online Championships are all 12 <laughs> teams as opposed to the 15-team uh, draft champions. Do you have a perspe- wait,
0: wait, wait? Wait, main event is fifteen. Oh, Online main event championship is twelve. Yeah, just want to get that
3: in there. See, see, and I don't, I don't play the main event because I, I don't have sixteen hundred dollars to drop on this since I'm married. But uh, sell your kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, kids uh,
0: can go for more than that. You can get a couple years of entries
3: if you sell the kid. All right, <laughs> I, I, I gotta go, guys. I'll be right back. But
0: um, like, so, okay,
3: so like, if you're in a twelve team, like, let's say you're in the uh, RotoWire Online Championship, that that's a twelve team. That's a three hundred dollar entry. Maybe a number of our listeners are there. How does your strategy with KDS change there? Is there a perspective spot that you want more than others uh, in that format?
1: So for me, it's. I think it's a little easier there because um, now my team's going to be even more loaded. So I still want the one pick. I don't care so much about two, three, four, and then I'm happy with anything six through 12. And so I actually just did one on Saturday morning. I tweeted it out and it was a pretty ideal start for me. And it was kind of how I had it written and projected on paper. But I went Stanton in the first at pick nine overall. Uh, This is after Kershaw and Harper had just gone. So I got Stanton, Correa in the second round, who I love, Noah Syndergaard third, and then my boy Yelich fourth. Um, what that meant was having to, uh, you know, getting my second starter was kind of a tough decision between Archer and Carlos Martinez. I ended up going Archer, but that top four
0: I was just very happy with. That is that is a really really nice top four, and I totally agree with you there. Uh, especially on Correa, I really love him. Getting Correa in the second round, I think, is is such a boon. Uh, really interested to see where he goes Saturday uh, Sunday during my main event, um, because I definitely really like him. Gotta know where I'm picking first to, to know how much it's gonna matter to me. Uh Vlad, when you're when you're going through your drafts and in your prep, uh, I would think I have an idea what the answer is gonna be, but I want you to expound on it. Uh how much does ADP matter to you? How do you use average draft position data uh, in your favor? Uh
1: for me it is it's just a guide. It is for me to figure out where uh you know where the fish are gonna play and where I can find all the mispriced values. And so that's what i that's why I spend the time in uh, in Roto Lab, um, kind of editing and working on my own projections. Um, and for me, that's where you know the yellages of the world or You know, uh, you know, Kendris Morales from two years ago, Grindall from three years ago—they just pop out to me, and I see, you know, okay, this is a guy that is you know the twelfth ranked catcher uh, that I have coming in as my top six. So I know this is somebody that is now my target, uh, and so I won't take them. Much, much earlier, you know, because that would just be kind of wasting away picks. I can still get other guys. But then as I get close to their ADP, then maybe I don't mind jumping, you know, a round or two. Um, you know, to be able to get my guys. Um, but then to be honest, once you get to the main event and you're there in Vegas and you're drafting live, it's almost all thrown out the window. I mean, these guys are just animals and they just, you know, just grabbing whoever they want. And it's a free for all. You kind of have, have to have a really good idea. You, you not only have to have a backup plan, you need to have like three backup plans behind that. And so everything's thrown out the window at complete chaos
2: yeah you kind of stole my next question, black, because one of the things I was looking at, Paul and I we talked about it in labor as we as we reviewed the team. you know it's it's at a certain point in the in the draft, 80, who cares what the ADP is? You know maybe in the first eight to ten rounds, you don't want to jump too badly. I know my first year in NFBC 2009, I took Nelson Cruz in the eighth round because I believed in Nelson Cruz. And everybody's like, what a wasted pick. And Nelson Cruz had an amazing year. And sure, if everybody else valued him as a 15th, I just didn't want him to get away because I had been writing about him all year. I was like, no, no, this guy's going to be a monster, and I'm going to take him and put my money where my mouth is. Uh, Didn't win the league, uh, but I did put my mouth where my money went. Uh, But what's some of the craziest in recent – if you've done uh, any of the uh, drafts recently, what's some of the craziest reaches, uh, if you will, that you've seen?
1: Well, I guess what I hate is, uh, you know, since I now have famous friends like you guys, um, when I tweet something, I realize it sometimes works against me. So I think, you know, I I posted something about my love for Jose Martinez uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, of course, every draft I've done since, he's now going 50 to 80 spots ahead of his ADP where it almost feels personal. And I'm sure that's what it is. It's like, hey – you know, we know. You know, You we like Jose Martinez, too, and they like him. You know, I'm not trying to prop myself up or even predict that he's going to have this monster season. But at a certain time, when you, you kind of put guys out there and put them on people's radars, um, you know, these guys start sort of rising in ADP. And so I end up missing on a lot of guys that I love, um, you know, because their price starts going up. But one of the things I really love to do is draft in February, kind of while I'm still oh, doing yeah. my research. Because oh,
0: yeah. that's where all the value is. It, uh, yeah, those February drafts, can be wild obviously we don't have spring yet so you can draft some injured guy but the 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 potential to get some d- ridiculous values that you look back on uh, is huge because a lot of people haven't even started with their baseball yet so you you don't even I mean you definitely have die hard so it's not like you're getting an easier pool you're just getting a much more uncertain pool so the guys that you want to really push in on uh, you can definitely start to to establish yourself there Let's focus on some of those mid rounds um, in that Jose Martinez vein. I won't make a give away all your names, but outside of a Martinez, uh, who are a couple names of maybe a hitter and a pitcher that you look at in that let's say you know beyond 150, beyond into the double digit rounds that you are uh, looking to get regularly because you believe that they're they're undervalued right now.
1: Uh, I don't know. Aaron Hicks, I think is is one who um, I think is going to have you know for me guy you know guy like Jacoby Ellsbury is just not really not really too worried about him and him standing in
0: my way. Um, He's so just, good though, and his great arm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Just you know, a guy like Aaron Hicks, I feel is a little bit undervalued. Um, I'd love to see Aaron Althor get uh, you know full time at bats. I, I think I have to sort of um, be ready that that's not going to be the case. Um, they have a sure. crowded outfield or you know outfield there. Uh, and then the one pitcher that I actually have on every single team, and it's not because I'm a homer, and that's Kent Um, This is a guy that was what you know top hundred pick, um, had his down year, spent a lot of you know time last season, uh, you know in in middle relief, and actually did pretty well, but you know still a pretty solid strikeout rate. Um, and, uh, he's back as a starter this year. And so, you know, I'm always targeting those Dodger pitchers. I mean, you just look at the collective starters, ERAs over the last couple of years, just an unbelievable, uh, value right now going at around 200 overall. So, um, I- I'm
0: all in my this year. So when you draft somebody like a Kent to my how much does it, if at all change your composition on the other, on the rest of your pitchers with regards to his win potential, because he is so Uh, So much of like a five inning sort of guy. I know he won 13 last year and wins are very difficult to predict And when you pitch as well as he does he can get a lot of five five uh, five inning wins So that's a credit to him that he was even 13 and six and definitely some of those came in relief But does something like that change? Um, maybe drafting, I know you never really want to chase them, but with with the Maeda specifically, does he make you veer towards some maybe uh, higher win potential guys to cover that? Or are you just riding it out and you can address wins in season?
1: Yeah, I think for the most part, I, I don't think I'm actively addressing it afterwards. I think for me, you know, as you mentioned, just wins are, so fickle and and so difficult to predict. And so for me, uh, you know, I've noticed over the last couple of seasons that, uh, you know, when I'm reviewing my teams from, from years past is, you know, whip has been my issue and that's even with me going with, uh, you know, getting some aces in the beginning. And so, you know, beginning of drafts. And so, you know, I want to get those guys who I trust who have good control because later on in the season, if I'm chasing strikeouts and wins, for example, and I'm adding these, you know, these, these two start, you know, uh, Two start a week guys, all of a sudden I have to bid on Francisco Liriano and, uh, uh, you know, Jordan Zimmerman and who knows and, you know, what's going to happen.
0: Relax. Relax. The two Tigers naming for your garbage pitchers. Come on, man. What are we doing out here? No, I'm just uh, kidding. We're terrible. We're terrible. But maybe Chris Bazio can help you mine some talent from there because. None of the Tigers pitchers outside of Michael Fulmer are going to be drafted. So I, I'm not really I'm not really hurt by that. Sure. Of course. Vlad they're, can
2: call but, the Tigers terrible. And last week
1: I got crap for
0: calling no, them terrible. I, I see no, how it is. No, I'm, I'm, that's what I said. I, that's why I pushed <laughs> back on him. How dare he? And, <laughs> and
1: you know what's funny is I didn't even calculate them as Tigers. It's just the first two names that pop in my head as like streamers. So I think, you know, they're. Should we honor that? uh, We're looking at them as streamers.
3: If Vlad was going to take a shot at anybody's team, he's a Dodgers fan. He would. He would definitely. It's going to be coming at you. Yeah, he was. He was coming for me. So, Uh, Vlad, I I got a question. You know, NFBC, unlike a lot of other, well, virtually any other competition other than the uh, Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, has an overall prize. (laughs) Uh, Like, how do you even care about that? Or, I mean, obviously you care about that, but do you even think about that when you're going into a draft, or do you? you know, not worry about it until you're halfway through the season.
1: 100%. Like I go into these drafts with my goal is to win the overall, um, and I haven't yet. And so that's what I, 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 that's how I draft. Um, I don't mind, you know, I'd rather take my shots, I guess, in the middle to late rounds. I want to, you know, kind of keep it safe earlier on. Uh, And so what that means is I'm going to have a lot less of those, you know, my sort of you know, boring guy, quote unquote, is always the Kyle Seeger. He's the guy I'll always pass on for, for the more upside guy because I know I'm getting, you know, 260, 26 and whatever. So, um, yeah, I'm drafting for upside. I'm going into every league assuming um, that I'm going to win or get second. And then I want to kind of get that, um, you know, and, and of course that doesn't happen all the time, but I'm going in there chasing the big prize.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, one thing that I kind of learned this is my second year in the NFPC main, Justin, is that. Nobody cares about their individual league prize or at least not the people that are serious about it like that's ancillary if you can win that and kind of as like a consolation prize because you fell short in the main that's fine but everyone's playing for that main and so you really have to have a, a balanced team top to bottom and speaking of that bottom oh, segue get on it and uh, I, I'm riding over here on my segue to you Vlad and I want to talk about the back end of your roster reserve list composition. Um because the way the NFBC main is, you have seven reserve spots, no DL, and of course there's no training. So you it's your own it's your guys there and you can't really stash. kind it seems kind of difficult because you want all those spots working for you. How does your reserve list shape up as far as like pitchers versus hitters, injuries, prospects? What sort of strategies do you take there? Or is it fully based on the team that you've compiled to that point?
1: So I guess it's different for 12 and 15 teamers because in 12s, um, you know, when you're looking at the end game there, uh, you can just load up on the high upside guys, especially if you're drafting now uh, where you don't have to make roster moves for the first week uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, You're just grabbing, you know, the starting pitchers. You think they're going to make the rotation that have high upside. Um, And uh, I I think the number one mistake that people make, and I did it a lot early on, is uh, loading up on injured players that you think are good bargains. And adding in too many prospects, and the the key with NFBC is uh, because you've got twice a week lineup uh, changes. You're ch- You're making your moves on Monday and on Friday. Is um you know you want to have healthy bodies. At bats is basically the name of the game, and you want to make sure that uh, you know you can bring in you know uh, you know a, a, a southpaw hitter against three righties on the weekend. Um, yes, because on don't the weekend. Wanna-
0: Sorry, just for those that don't know, on the weekend, you can bring in hitters, not pitchers. So you can you can fix an injury or, you know, there's a team that was in San Francisco at the beginning of the week and then they're going into Colorado for the weekend. You can make those changes, but it's hitters only on the weekend. Just want to put that out there. Continue.
1: Exactly. And so, um, you know, it, you really can't have dead spots. You can take, you know, one shot on, you know, uh, you think Walker Bueller. Um, I, I think he is probably going to start in the minors, but you, you want to stash Walker Bueller. Last year it was. You know, last year in main in the main event league that I won, uh, and and it was pretty high up there overall. A big reason was um, somebody drafted Cody Bellinger and they dropped him two weeks in. They weren't patient with him. Mm-hmm. I scooped him up for about six bucks, and uh, the rest was history. And that really helped out for me. You know, definitely got a little lucky there. Um, but you can't have too many of those guys in your roster when you need to continually um, get guys into your lineup.
0: Yeah, that's one thing I, I learned a lot this year too with regards to, or the past year with regards to handling you can't have stashes you can maybe have one guy who's injured for a short-term situation you're thinking he's really going to be back in the 10 days you're not holding in Irvin Santana um, in a lot of cases because otherwise you're, you're you're making a wrong move there Jason
2: you know, one thing I was I'm going to go down to the last part of any draft, and that's what you do in season to buy the player since you can't trade. And I'm wondering and how early is too early to try to jump on a, a predictive move? I'll use an example last year. And, and AL tout, I had Trevor Bauer on my team for $5, and he started poorly out of the gate. Uh, Josh Tomlin gave up, like, 15 home runs in April fifteen. <laughs> take 15. Um, yeah, uh-huh. and, and so I'm looking yep. at Mike Clevenger down on the farm saying, "Our Clevengers going well? And I'm going to go ahead and pick him up now. And see what happens. I think I picked him up at least three weeks before he was called up, and he made he ended up making a, a big difference for me because I ended up losing one of my pitchers right about the same time he got called up. So it was a nice transition for me. Um, but in time, ta- you know, you only have those four spots, but you can put somebody on the DL, which is a difference. So how do you attack that in NFBC format with that limited bench and no
0: disabled list? And a thousand I mean, dollar fab, by the way, thousand dollar fab is a big difference.
2: It's every yeah. right.
1: That's a plus one system. or is it, it not?
0: No, no, it's it's whatever you bid. Okay, yeah. thank
1: you. I forgot. Yeah, no all victory right. on that. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Clevenger, and something tells me you and I might be battling for him in Ale Tout Wars. But uh, I love a I love something like that where um I would love to you know for Salazar to be healthy and in the rotation so that Clevenger's on the outside looking in, and that's my kind of stash. Like I like a guy like that who looked really good last year. Um, I, I you know I do think he's kind of polarizing. There are some people DFS folks out there that think he stinks, but uh, I think he's a good pitcher, and I like something like that where I can maybe get him later. Let all the Sort of, you know, helium wear off, let him follow for a few rounds. And that's the type of stash that I like. Um, you know, maybe, you know, jumping in on, on someone like, a, you know, I, I think I, like, I feel like I'm the only Albert Elmora fan out there. And with the chance of him leading off, I, I think there's a good opportunity. I loved watching him hit last year. Think I love gonna- Elmora. Yeah, and and I know you took him in uh, our TGFBI league. You, you jacked him for me right off the top yep, of my cue. I'm
0: a huge, huge fan. I've been liking that guy since he was drafted. I just, I still think there's something there too. And if he can learn a little, little something against righties to where he's capable, I could see him taking you know close to full time at bats too.
1: Yeah. So there's just a lot. I mean, like that whole end of the 12 team is just so much endgame, so much goodness. And it doesn't make sense to like, you'll see, you know, in all these 12 team online championships, you know, you can pick up a Josh Harrison off the waiver wire who can help you out. I mean, mm-hmm. fab is so, so deep. But, you know, if, you know, unfortunately, Lewis Gahara is injured now, but, uh, you know, somebody like hammer a Newcomb that just blow up and, you know, you take a shot at them at the end game, it really could uh, behoove you to potentially win an overall
0: championship. Yeah, absolutely, and I mentioned the thousand dollars on the Fab uh, purposefully because I think people incorrectly assume that well, you just multiply your bids versus a what you know t- times ten versus a one hundred dollar week. It's not like that at all. It's nothing like that. It's it's a lot different and it's much more flexible because you have one thousand players that you can get for you know you could for one dollar obviously, but you can get one thousand different cracks. That's a heck of a lot different than a one hundred dollar budget. How aggressive are you early on, on these guys that uh, that are having a big uh, big April like uh, you know Justin Spoke? Any of those fifty two million first basemen that broke out last yeah. year? <laughs> what kind of you know what what sort of process do you go through to figure out? Do I put four hundred here? Do I go eighty? Do I go six hundred? Obviously earlier you want to attack because you can get them longer. But what what are some of your thought processes there with handling the one thousand dollar budget and the early breakouts?
1: Well, I, I like to try to get guys a week before. Um, so if you're kind of starting to feel a breakout, um, that's the time to get them for a few bucks before the price goes up next Sunday. So I had a lot of Ryan Zimmerner Zimmerman, um, and Justin smoke and, and guys like that because I had the flexibility with guys that I was okay with dropping at the end of my, uh, you know, at the end of, uh, you know, with my end game, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, last year or what was it? It was a handful of years ago, you know, uh, josh donaldson's breakout season and you know i was big on donaldson at least being you know a good 28th round pick and a 12 teamer uh a week into the season i think he you know sprained his ankle or something he was only out a week uh came back and just had a monster year i dropped him of course and you know he went on <laughs> somebody bid 300 on him and so be it the and one boom. thing I tr- exactly and the one thing i try to do is um i just don't want to play the game of spending money for like you know close a roulette it's like, yes. okay, now it's Joaquim Sari and I spent 250 Oh, shoot, they changed it to uh, Nate Jones now, and you're just chasing closers. So that's why I um, just want to save some money, kind of spend it throughout the year and be smart about it.
0: And that's why I always say, you know, be careful about this idea that you can just go buy saves. You know, uh, there's so, so many saves on the wire. Yeah, and everybody's going for them except for like maybe the one person who went Kimbrel jansen you know other than that mm-hmm. the other 14 people no matter who they have are going for them because if it's an archie bradley type or a Corey kniebel uh then they could be a high impact player so it's just because other people might have saves doesn't mean they're not going for them. and you can expend a lot of resources there so i i, I definitely am careful uh with folks on that uh wrapping up here justin do you have any more questions for vlad
3: uh i don't know if you covered this yet or not but I was wondering, with only seven reserves, do you really downgrade players who are injury risk? I I do. I think you know usually I can take on one if it's not
1: something serious like you know last year's Ian Desmond's hand injury. Uh, You know this year I'm just you know unfortunately I I love Michael Conforto but I just can't touch him. Um, You know there's there's say it's May. You know, early May or, you know, late April, but you you just never know. And, you know, at at a certain point, maybe if I don't have any of their stashes and it's the 26th round, sure, I'll I'll take them. Um, But the story I love to tell is from quite a few years ago, back when I used to draft with uh, a couple of buddies, Ronnie Moore and Russ Prentice, we were the Cali cartel. And uh, Ronnie and I had a big fight at the draft board, or kind of like a quiet one, but he really wanted to draft Corey Hart. I think it was like the eighth round. and, And Corey Hart wasn't supposed to be back for a month. And so I just remember I got mad, you know, uh, you know, got up from the table and, uh, yeah, we, we got Corey Hart All right. And, uh, he ended up missing, I think pretty much the whole season. So, you know, don't wear your sunglasses at night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, Corey Hart, man. He, he fell off quickly. Um, I think that is going to wrap it up. This was your initial go here on the the sleeper in the bus. Vlad, how did, how'd you enjoy it?
1: It's phenomenal, man. This, you guys are uh, top of your class, I must say. So thank you for having right. me on.
0: Now, appreciate having you on. Uh, really glad that we all got to get together and, and, and chat with you. Again, that's RotoGut, uh, R- R-O-T-O-G-U-T, on Twitter. Guru Elite. What do you got going for Guru Elite this year?
1: It's going to be a whole bunch of stuff. Going to be on the season-long side, DFS side. A uh, l- little bit of this, a little bit of that.
0: So it's still in the works. That's good. Didn't even ask any DFS questions on purpose to bring you back in april to talk a little bit more dfs so folks can look forward to that once we get a few games under our belt have you start to identify maybe some trends and and some some ways to play and get some tips for some folks so we'll definitely have you back appreciate you being on vlad and uh and good luck in your mains
1: thanks a lot guys talk to you soon